Good morning again. Yeah, so um, coming back um, just shortly from vacation last week, I explained to many of you I had just felt this deep conviction uh, in this season to start a series on the church and um, what does it look like for us to be the church and and um, what does that mean in terms of the way that we give? What does it mean in terms of the way that we uh, treat one another? What does it mean in terms of worship? Um, all of those things that uh, make up and comprise biblically uh, who we are and what we are as the church. And we talked about last week uh, that Jesus calls us not to be an institution, but he calls us to be a body. He doesn't call us to be a corporate gathering, but He calls us to gather as as little stones that are building His house and building His kingdom. And so where we left off last week, we're going to go back and review a little bit more of where we were last week, but stay in these same Scripture passages from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. And, uh, and I'm going to add verse 24 this morning to then Jesus told the disciples, uh, if anyone would come after him to deny themselves and take up their cross. So, as we come to the Lord's Word, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. Now hear the Word of the Lord. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Let's pray. Lord, now Your Word is... We prayed a little earlier with the worship team, God, and Ted prayed that You would open our ears. We do, um, God, pray that, that our ears would be open. Pray, Lord, too, that our eyes would also be open, that we would see, but Lord... As we prayed as the worship team this morning, God, I just I just pray that some of the hard things that you call us to, we would not run away from, we would not seek to dilute, we would not seek to disregard or to rationalize. But Lord, those things that you say to us that are demanding, those things that you say to us that are calling us out and cutting us out of society to be Your people, would we, Lord, with full vision and with full auditory, spiritually auditory ears hear, oh God, the truth 
Christ of what you say. For our eternal destiny depends upon it. And the glory of your name within this church, O oh God, is conditioned by our response. So God, help us Help us to know something different today, God. An ancient truth. May true miracles happen in the way that our hearts are transformed. May we repent, O God, as Your people. And may we hear from heaven. In Your name we pray. Amen. Lee's used to it. It happens periodically to me, maybe over the last three Almost three and a half years, some of you have seen it. Uh, every once in a while, the Lord calls me to a sullen place, uh, a place of um, aloneness. And I can be amongst all of you and, and be around a lot of people, but in my heart of hearts, I feel very alone. And I know when God calls me to such a, a sober place and a place of sobriety, spiritually speaking, um, not that in the flesh I'm drunk, but just you get it, um, that there's some deep thing, some deep truth, some new turn upon His Word that He wants me to see and to share. And and I've been in that season now for a few weeks. It went all through my vacation time and up until even this moment. And uh, it was part of the provocation of feeling as though, almost a feeling of, um, I don't want to say desperation, that's a little bit of a strong word, but a feeling of urgency that we as churches need to hear the reality of who and what Jesus calls us to be. Um, so that's my goal in the next few moments by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might um, face three very challenging questions towards the end of the message but that we would indeed face them and begin internally and corporately answer them. So we started last week with this idea of Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. And Kristen, if you could just pull that up. I, I found a picture of what I tried to explain to you verbally um, last week. Gosh, now I wish I had a laser pointer. I always think of these things in the last moment. But if you'll remember last week, and if you weren't here last week, I, I described this area of Caesarea Philippi that was built by the Tetrarch Philip, uh, who was the brother of Herod. And he was a governor of this northern region, just north of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. And, and this mountain was, there was a hill there, but it was also added to by Philip himself to make this mountain. And... Um, called, uh, you know, Caesarea Philippi. And, and it's named because Philip wanted to build a temple, which is that far left temple there 
to Caesar, and hence the name Caesarea, uh, in honor of Caesar so that Caesar worship could happen there. And then there's a little platform in the middle of the two buildings along with that building. That was from centuries before when the Greeks uh, ruled this territory. They set up worship for the god Pan. And Pan was a fertility god and, and uh, where we get... Uh, in our culture today, the religion of pantheism or the the uh, belief of pantheism that God is all things and all things are God. And and uh, then I told you last week, there's these two levels on the far right. These two, there's an upper sort of platform there and a lower platform there. And those were the lower, the upper uh, platform of the dancing goats. Uh, go figure. Um, but they were where animal sacrifice would take place, and then right, you can kind of see the shadow of it right there uh, behind the the temple to Caesar of this great cave that was there. And out of that cave, there was a spring that poured forth, and they would take their sacrifices, and even child sacrifice, and they would throw them into that cave, which they believed to be the opening of hell. And so this whole area, because of pagan worship and because of um, this false religions that were going on in the cave there, that whole region there became known as the gates of hell. And so when Jesus brings his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, it's not by accident that he's doing this. It's an intentional journey that he brings them up to this particular spot so that he can ask them a, a fresh a, a question of confrontation, really, uh, about his identity in the world. But um, this was a place, you'll remember, that Jews themselves would not go, but Jesus takes his disciples up there uh, to ask the question. And we talked about this last week, that this is the most significant question that any man or woman could ever be asked. And so that Jesus, in the light of this panoply, this backdrop of false religions and, and, um, and, and facades of, of man's attempt to not only know God, but be God Himself, and political power and, and historical rulings and, and the belief that somehow animals uh, were worthy of worship, Jesus stands before the world there and says to His uh, disciples, Who do you say that I am? And we talked about the weight of that question even upon East Glenville Church this morning, that in this world and in the culture that we are established as a body of believers in, in this particular community behind this, this little kill that goes out in front of us, it's the same question that we are asked this very morning. And every morning, who do you say that I am? Who does your life reflect that Jesus is to you? And of course, here Jesus tells us that His Disciples, or Matthew tells us that the disciples first go to Jesus is a prophet. Many of you, Lord, say that you're a prophet. Many of you say that you're a good teacher. Many of you say that you're a way to the, to God. Many of them say that you, um, 
You're an aspect of the truth. Many of them say that you're some reincarnation of another person from another time, like maybe John the Baptist, that, that uh, he, God reincarnated John the Baptist and brought him in. And in doing so, we find great comfort in their answer, don't we? Because it's, it's easy to treat Jesus that way. It's comforting to treat Jesus as just someone who is manageable. Just some uniquely good teacher that shows us a pathway to live, to make our lives more comfortable, more complacent, if you will. Someone who really has all of my best interests as I define what my best interests are in His purview right in His windshield. In fact, He rules the entire universe on my behalf. That's the kind of Jesus I want. It's the kind of Jesus that many of us really are mostly comfortable with. The one that is sort of more like us. And doesn't really demand anything from us. And really has all of our best interest in mind as His consuming will. After all, That's why He came, isn't it? To make me comfortable. To make my life good. And yet Peter comes up with a uniquely different answer. Peter comes up with an answer that's really superhuman. He comes up with an answer that is truly, by Jesus' own proclamation, supernatural. He comes up with the answer of, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're not some mere good teacher. You're not just a way to God. You're not just someone who has our comfort in mind. You're someone who deserves our knee-bowed, bending of the back, face-on-the-pavement worship. Because you're the Messiah, the truly promised one of all of the Old Testament. You're the one who has been promised all these centuries. God said you'd come, and by golly, you've come. You're the one. You're the anointed king over Israel that God said would come. You're the better David. You're the better Moses. You're the great deliverer. And you and I must understand in their mind that the idea of Messiahship was a developing idea over the Old Testament. But never, never in their wildest dreams did they believe that the Messiah was going to be God Himself. And so Peter comes up with a supernatural declaration. Not only are you the Messiah, but you're more than we've ever imagined that would have happened. You're more. You're more than we ever thought could ever possibly be. You're God Himself. Come to us. It wasn't just Jesus 
who we might sing happy birthday to at Christmas time. It is the second person of the Godhead, the eternal Alpha and Omega, the Ancient of Days, the agency by which every star was made, the person who spoke the earth into being, and the one who knew you in your mother's womb before you were born. It is He, the great I Am, who came to earth, and Peter sees it. And Peter proclaims what he sees. But his proclamation doesn't come from his own generation. Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It's why John would say in the sixth chapter that no one comes to me unless the Father allows. No one can recognize who Jesus is unless the Father opens their eyes to see who Jesus is. And so it's incumbent upon us to know this really harsh, sometimes harsh reality that you and I cannot know Jesus unless God awakens us to know Jesus. And if you think you know Him on your own, if you think your definition of who Jesus is, is the right one, you're wrong. Only God can define God. And only God can show God. And only God will reveal God. And so if you sit in this room this morning as East Glenville Community Church, if you're in this room with me in this room, then you and I must realize we did not get here by our own proclamation. We didn't get here by our own power. Somewhere in our life's stories, God came. And God touched you. And God pried your eyes open to see your dead eyes, my dead eyes, so that His Spirit would invade us that we might proclaim, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And look at Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't shirk back from that and doesn't say, Now, now Peter, wait a minute. You've gone a bit too far here. He doesn't shirk back and say, you're wrong. I'm just a mere man. He doesn't even agree with the other disciples and say, yeah, hey, look, Peter, let's just leave it in the category of uh, I'm some prophet that's come back from the dead. That's a lot easier for people than God came. No. He affirms Peter's confession. Peter, you're right. You got it. I am the Messiah. And I am more than you ever thought that the Messiah could be. I am God. And it is that same God that awakened your heart to worship Him this morning. If that isn't your reality, and you just got here, you think by, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is all so that I might be happy. 
you are sadly and eternally mistaken. If you think our songs are meant for us to feel good about singing, we, it's, that's a big mistake. If you think giving an offering is about making sure the lights are on, you've made an internal error. If you think that you're here because you're a good person, sorry. If you think you're here because you have some deeper insight than others have, you're wrong. You're only in this pew this morning. I'm only here behind the pulpit because of the grace of God who said to Peter, Peter, you're not a big giant polder. You are Petros. You're a little pebble. And your confession, your faith, is going to be built on me, the rock. But remember that you are just a pebble among pebbles. But I will find my glory in collecting these pebbles and building them into my church, my house. So it's incumbent upon us to realize that the church is the church of God. And God has sole ownership over the church. That this is not your church. It's not my church. It belongs to Jesus. And therefore, everything in this church and everyone who is truly of Christ understands this singular foundational truth. This is His church. We are His people for the sake of His glory. And if there's anything else other than that that is foundational to us, it is of men. And it is of our conveniences. So it's important that we understand this connection that Jesus says, Peter, it's upon the faith that you have expressed on me, the rock, that I, not you, but I will build my church. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are now Peter the pebble. And upon this rock, Petra, me, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell. The world. False religion. Politics, men's attempt at their own glory will not prevail against my church. And we must understand in their day, gates were not decorative. 
They served the purpose of defense. That if there was a gate, it was to keep people out. To control who passed through. And Jesus says, it's not that we are defensive against hell. It's no. Hell is defensive against the church. The church is to be prevailing, not defensive. The church is to be going, not withdrawing. The church is to be strong and courageous, not meek and mild and withdrawn from the world. The church is not to be a ghetto, but a city of light. Not because it's made up of us, but because it's His church for His glory. And that's why we exist. You do not exist for your 401k. You do not exist for your nice home in the suburbs. You do not exist to sing hymns. You do not exist to have your private life. You and I exist solely for the glory of God. And until that truth, that reality, sinks deeply within our hearts, we are like the people in Isaiah 1, and the Lord says, quit your singing. Quit your praying. It's disgusting. If that is not who Jesus is to you and to me, our singing, our praying is in vain. And how do we do that? How do we go from confessing that Jesus truly is God, He's truly the one we bow down to, is truly our reality that we are just pebbles that make up His church and that we exist for His glory? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. That we are to be prevailing. We are to be going. And why? Because He gives us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? That means that the truth of the reality of who Jesus is is the key, literally, the opening of the door to the world of what eternal life is. And it's been given to you and to me, and to Peter, and to Paul, and to Matthew, and to Luke, and to Mark. And you can just fill your name in if you belong to Him in any of those blanks. The keys of heaven have been given to you and what you bound on earth. In other words, the way that you proclaim the Gospel on earth, the way that you live the Gospel on earth is what is bound in heaven. And those who hear the Gospel and believe the Gospel are bound for heaven. And that which is loosed on earth, the truth, and those who reject it, and those who would rather have convenience than the cross, shall be loosed upon the earth. But the glory of God and His grace is loosed upon heaven.
So these are the critical questions that I spoke of at the beginning of the message. Who is Jesus to you? Who is He? Who do you say that Jesus is? What does your life say about who Jesus is to you? Is Jesus the one you're familiar with at retreats on Sunday morning? And become absent-minded of the first hint of pressure and stress on Monday morning? Is he just a safety blanket? An insurance policy, so to speak, that keeps you out of hell? That you pull out when you feel insecure? To wrap the security blanket around you and say, Oh, Jesus, make it all better for me. Certainly that's an element of relationship with Jesus, but the only way that can be true is that He is God who wraps His arms around you and says you are safe. Because if he's just a good teacher, if he's just a smart guy, if he's just another way, then he's absolutely no good to me and my problems. I've got serious problems. I have serious issues. I need God and no other. I need God to come into my life. I need God to reveal Himself to me. I need God to rule over those who rule over me. I will go any place. I will do anything. Wherever you call God, I will go. Whatever you ask me to give God, I will give. Whatever you ask me to sacrifice God, I will sacrifice. Because you asked. Because you commanded. 
Because you told me to. Because I'm of your church. You see, it's right there in verse 24. This is the hard, hard part. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him elevate himself and get all that he can and make himself comfortable and get a nice, pretty home and just enjoy barbecues and life and everything. All those things are good and all those things are fun and all those things are enjoyable. But you and I must understand they only can be that way in the context of the truth. And the truth is this, that Jesus says, if you want to come after me, then you deny yourself and you take up your cross, not your conveniences, not your comfort, but you take up your cross. You die to yourself and you follow me. Who do you say? that Jesus is, will dictate your response and my response to that question. Will we take up our cross and follow Him? Well, if we believe that He's God, that's an easier proposition than if we believe He's just a good guy. Second one. Whose church do you worship in? Your church? Or Christ's church? Everything about this roof and that roof and that roof and this acreage here, whose is that? This congregation's? Or the Lord's? Because that will dictate everything else that you do as a body. Your paradigm of who this belongs to will dictate every decision that you make. It will also dictate every way you treat one another. Hear these words. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, let's be honest. When we become hypercritical of one another, when we start criticizing the leadership of our church or the women's group or the youth or the choir, are we not, in fact, destroying, attempting to destroy God's church? There is a huge difference between constructive, helpful things that we say and things of judgmentalism 
and hurtfulness and destruction. And it's an issue of the heart. Because what proceeds from the mouth begins in the heart. And if you believe this is God's church and not your particular church, then words of servanthood, grace, and mercy, and kindness will come out of your mouth. Upbuilding, lifting up, will be part of your repertoire of the words that you speak to one another because you understand the mercy and the grace that God brought you into His church. That you're not privileged to be here. And we're not privileged to have you. But it is by grace that you are here, and it is by grace that you are received. Who does this church belong to? Who does it worship? Do you want it to worship you or to worship Jesus? And the finally, and this is the most difficult questions question. Are we going to be a church of the cross or a church of convenience? Are you going to be a church of the cross or a church of convenience? What does that mean? It means are we going to busy ourselves making it the way we want it? Or are we going to sacrifice ourselves to make it the way God wants it? Are we going to do all our activities and all our functions and all of our things so that we might have a good time and do them in such a way that doesn't cost us very much? Do it in such a way that is easy. Do it in such a way that doesn't fatigue us. Or are we really going to get out there And really say, I'm going to put the cross of Christ on my shoulders. And I'm going to carry it out into East Glenville. And show them that God has come to earth. By the way that I love Him, adore Him, and sacrifice for Him. What are we teaching our children when Little League is more important than worship? What do we teach the world that will walk through tremendous heat, go into unair conditioned facilities, hungry, like a hunger none of us in America ever have known, gripped with cholera, in the society where sexual trafficking is normal, just to get to a place where there's other pebbles so that they can worship God. Because they believe that that's their cross. The question, who do you say that Jesus is? is the most important question that you will ever answer. And you must, I must, 
answer it with my life. Let's pray. Lord, you say to us that you will be with us, that your favor will rest upon us, but you also say only if we follow your commands. And what makes you worthy, O Lord, for your commands to be followed is this, not that you're just a man but that you are both fully man and fully God. And you have commanded us to be the church, to commit our lives not just to you, but to one another. So that, so that we can be a prevailing people, advancing against the kingdom of darkness with sabers of the kingdom of light in our hands. May your truth pervade, O God, and may we not run, but may we run to you, our strength and our courage, our Lord and our God, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. Let's stand in closing and proclaim, it is in Christ alone that we stand.
I'm going to ask you to stand and receive the Lord's blessing and then just immediately after take a seat for a, a short meeting that we will have. Um, so let's uh, receive the Lord's blessing. And now may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord and our God Christ Jesus, invade you, comfort you and fill you and convict you and help you to confess.